the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Unrest overnight in numerous American cities, although generally speaking, it seems there was less looting as authorities moved to strictly enforce nighttime curfews. The scene in New York City as police arrest protesters and rioters. America's biggest city was under an 8 o'clock curfew last night after an 11 p.m. curfew on Monday night proved ineffective. Rioters have increasingly targeted police in the aftermath of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, with officers in various cities shot. Officers were run over with cars in Buffalo and New York City. In St. Louis, a retired police captain murdered in cold blood while trying to protect a friend's business. This amid the frenzy of looting, vandalism, and arson across the country. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Nobody gets away with anything. You may think that you get away with it. It may seem today that you got away with it, but God sees all. And because God never lets a man or a woman get away with their sin, this becomes for us, and this is where we want to go this morning, this becomes for us one of the most helpful instructions about the right way to confront a believer in Christ about their sin. Confrontation. Most of us do not like to be on either side of a confrontation. A few of us love confrontation as long as we get to do the confronting. And rare is the person who learns how to properly confront or be confronted. God tells us not only when we should address sin in someone's life, but how we should do it. That is our topic today and for the next few days on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Pastor Steve Kreloff is showing us the many wonderful spiritual lessons found in the biblical account of the life of David. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you thought David's sin with Bathsheba was the low point of his life, that was nothing compared to his sins during the following year. When we break our fellowship with God, things go from bad to worse. We'll take a look at those sins today, consider why David continued to fall farther from God, and see how important it was that someone confront him in the right way about his sin. Now here's Pastor Steve. Every once in a while we hear about someone who committed what they thought was the perfect crime. Someone who broke the law and uh, appeared to get away with it. You know, we even have this uh, television program, Unsolved Mysteries, about these type of things. I recently heard about a man in either the late uh, 60s, maybe the early 70s, who uh, hijacked a plane, then demanded uh, some money. They landed the plane. He got money. Uh, they got, he got back on the plane. And uh, then he, uh, he parachuted, dramatically parachuted, off of the plane and uh, was never to be heard from again, never seen, 
never heard from. And uh, he became a real hero in his time. Oh, there were songs about him and people uh, uh, claimed that, that they were the individual. He became a, a hero because here was someone who, uh, who looked like he beat the system. Somebody who got away with it. Well, I don't know whatever happened to this man. Nobody knows what happened to this man. But uh, I can assure you that though he, uh, he may never have gotten caught by the authorities, he didn't get away with anything. He paid the price. He paid for his crime in other ways, even if he never went to jail for it, because the Bible says that um, we all reap what we sow. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, perhaps the best biblical illustration of the whole concept of, uh, of, of sowing and reaping is the after effects of David's sin with Bathsheba. Now, remember last week we looked at this. David committed adultery. He had sexual relations with someone who was not his wife. And the Bible condemns this. And we looked at this last week. We saw that as David's moral failure, though he is called a man after God's heart, he certainly wasn't a man after God's, God's heart at that moment. But we also said not only do we look at David's moral failure, but we discover some real clear reasons as to what, what might have led up to David's moral failure. You could almost guess that it was coming somewhere at, at some time. And we, we suggest that there were three reasons that uh, and principles that we can look at and say, look, if we apply these truths to our lives, we can keep from having a moral failure because nobody really falls into sin. You kind of gradually slide into it. And so let me quickly review as you turn to Second Samuel chapter 11. And uh, as you turn there, let me say for those who are visiting with us that we have been studying the life of David, the greatest king in uh, Israel's history. We've been studying his, his life from being a poor shepherd boy to now he is the king over all the tribes and he is a successful king. He has defeated his, en his enemies. He is at the zenith of his power. Uh, he has expanded Israel's empire. And uh, he is at that point in his life, but then he, he had a moral failure. And we noticed last week that the first reason why this failure would come in his life is because of unguarded leisure time. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now the writer specifically tells us why everybody, all the other kings would go out David stayed in Jerusalem. Why? Well, here's the principle. David should not have been staying in Jerusalem. David should have been out where all the other kings were. He had some leisure time, but his problem was unguarded leisure time. It's all right to take some time off, but the problem is, is that sometimes when we take some physical time off, we, uh, we're off duty spiritually. We... we um, become mentally undisciplined. The time of physical relaxation often carries over to our moral lives so that we leave ourselves unguarded and that's when temptation strikes and we're not prepared for it. So David had a problem in that area. Secondly, we saw that it was uncontrolled passion. Now, uh, Deuteronomy 17, and we mentioned this last week, but Deuteronomy 17 says, look, when you have a king in the future, Israel, understand that he's not to have this, 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 but one of the things he is not to have is he is not to have multiple wives. 
The culture may accept it, but the king of Israel is not. It is clear. It is unacceptable. Do not let him multiply wives. But we learn in 2 Samuel that David had many wives and had many concubines. Now, it says in verse 2 of chapter 11, Now, when evening came, David rose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. I want to suggest to you that David wasn't used to controlling his sexual desires. Listen, when you have multiple wives and concubines, you don't have to say no to your sexual desires. David was not used to saying no. And so when he saw a beautiful woman bathing, he failed to submit his sexual life to God's authority. The Bible says that we are to flee youthful lust. We are to submit that area of our lives to the authority of the Word of God. But he wasn't used to saying no. He wasn't used to having to to deal with his passions. And so we said that we need to formulate mental discipline in our own minds and hearts. There's a third reason that led to David's moral failure was unresponsiveness to God's uh, word, God's warning in his life. Notice verse 3. So David sent, he inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now that's a clear warning. The servant was in essence saying, This is somebody else's wife. This isn't your wife. This is Uriah the Hittite's wife. But instead of backing off, and David should have at this point, he took her, verse 4 said, and he had relations with her. It said in verse 4, David sent messengers. He took her, and when, he came, when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. David had to rationalize his own sin. He had to deal with that. And what really is the problem here, when you do not respond to the warnings of God in this area, it is because you have made the sexual area an idol in your life. Anything that causes you to sin against the word of God is an idol. It is something bigger than God in your life. And that's what David did. Unresponsive to God's warning. And therefore he fell. Now, from David's perspective, I think that was all there was to it. Kind of a one-night affair. And uh, David thought it was over. He took her. He he had her. Then he returned her. And he thought that was one time event. It's over with. That's it. But that wasn't it. Because notice verse 5. And we're moving on now in our study. And the woman conceived. And she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. And David had a choice to make. David had a decision to make at this point. He could do one of two things, and what he decided to do would affect the rest of his life. First of all, he could have confessed his sin and should have confessed his sin and called upon God for his mercy and his forgiveness. That would have been the right thing to do. Or he could have tried to cover it up and hide what he had done, and that's what he chose to do, and he paid for it the rest of his his life. You see, David tried to get away with the perfect crime. He tried to beat the system. He tried to get away with it. You see, he, he couldn't hide her pregnancy, could he? could he? It's kind of difficult to hide a woman's pregnancy, so he tried to hide the fact that he was the father. And so we, we're going to read about this starting at verse 6. And here's what David schemed to do. 
Then David sent to Joab, that was his general, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. What a hypocrite. Like he cared about them. Then David said it to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. Now, when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Now it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, and he had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in the front of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was, as Job kept watch on the city, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. Now in these verses we learn that David attempted... To, uh, to solve his problem of Bathsheba's pregnancy by, first of all, he, he, uh, he called Uriah back from the field with uh, just oozing out hypocrisy, asking about how is Joab, uh, Joab and how is the battle going. And uh, the real reason is he brought him back to have relations with his wife. So it would appear that Uriah was the father of David's child. That's what he did. You know, spend some time off Uh, go be with your wife, you've been a good soldier, go. Now go, get out of here. But Uriah did not do that. Uriah, in essence, was uh, more loyal to Israel than David was. It must have been a a, a piercing conviction in David's heart. Uriah basically said, listen, uh, our soldiers are out in the open field. Even the Ark of of the Covenant doesn't have a permanent place. I'm not going to my home. Why should I have such pleasure when everybody else is sacrificing? So... He, uh, he slept at the door of the, of the king with other servants. So David tried to, uh, to do something else. He tried then the next day to get Uriah drunk in hopes that he would forget his military responsibility and just go home, be with your wife. What kind of a guy are you? And when that didn't work, David planned his murder. What a wicked thing. This is the low point in David's life. He plans his murder by ordering Joab to place Uriah on the front line of a battle, and then he said, abandon him, retreat. The man's going to die because there's nobody else there, nobody there to, to, to help him. And this is precisely what happened. Notice verse 17. And the men of the city went out fought, uh, and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. So David, the man after God's own heart, became really a cold-blooded murderer, an absolute cold-blooded murderer. And what's worse, he thought he could get away with it. He thought this was the end of it. After all, who had seen him with Bathsheba? He was alone with her. Who had seen him with Bathsheba? And apart from his general Joab, who really didn't know exactly what was going on with the orders to put Uriah at the the front of the battle, uh, who was aware of David's incredible cover-up? 
He got away with it, didn't he? He beat the system. David thought he'd gotten away with murder, as we say, but he forgot one thing. He forgot that God was watching. Notice, as we turn to the end of the chapter, verses 26 and 27, now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Thought he got away with it. Who'd ever suspect anything? Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in what? The sight of the Lord, in God's sight. Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Nobody gets away with anything. You may think that you get away with it. It may seem today that you got away with it, but God sees all. And because God never lets a man or a woman get away with their sin, chapter 12 is all about God sending a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront David with his sin. And this becomes for us, and this is where we want to go this morning, this becomes for us one of the most helpful instructions about the right way to confront a believer in Christ about their sin. Now, why is this important? Well, for one thing, God's Word commands us to be His method in confronting believers about sin. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that if you see your brother in sin, your sister in sin, you are to confront them. Now, we're not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers, you don't confront them so much as you share the gospel with them. You're not going to reform an unbeliever. They need to be saved. But for a believer, we are told to confront them. And let me just share that with you. That's the first thing I want you to know. In Matthew, for example, Matthew 18, and I would write this down if I, was you, if I were you. This is very, very important. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Now, either, either you're going to obey that or not. Also, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, says this, and I just want to let you know what the Word of God says. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a man in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. We are to confront, we are to go to them, try to win them back, we are to uh, speak to them, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. James chapter 5 the end of James chapter 5, verse 19, it says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he, is, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That means if, an, if a believer is sinning at, to the point where it's so disgraceful in God's name, God's going to strike that believer dead, just like we read in 1 Corinthians 11. But if you confront them, and by God's grace, they turn from their sin. You've, you've brought somebody, somebody back who is going to die by God's uh, discipline. So confrontation is biblical, but here's the problem we have. And this is the, the second part of this. Why, should, why is this important to us about how Nathan confronted David? Because number one, God's word says we're to do it. Number two, because we have a problem in doing it. Nobody likes doing this. Everybody feels awkward about it. We, we don't know what to say. We feel unqualified. Why do I have to do it? Why not somebody else? Who am I to do this? Uh, doesn't the Bible say you're not to judge? Well, that's not what it means. It means don't have a self-righteous attitude. Don't judge the heart and the motives. But we are to confront others with sin. And so this morning, what we want to do from 2 Samuel 12, we want to learn the right way to confront someone 
the right way to go to somebody and in a gracious yet bold and uncompromising way tell them that they're wrong in their lives, that they have violated God's word. And I would encourage you to take notes on this because we don't go over this very often. And this is an absolute biblical command. If you don't do this, then somebody needs to confront you about it. So we're going to look at four principles about biblical confrontation. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Biblical confrontation, first of all, you writing this down? Okay. First of all, it involves being sent by God. Make sure God sends you and not yourself. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, let's, let's stop there. As chapter 12 opens up, it's been about a year since David's adultery and murder. Now, how do we know it's been about a year? Because as the chapter goes on, we read that the baby was born. Baby born nine months, about a year. Okay. Baby is born to Bathsheba. So for about a year, David has lived with this guilt. Can you imagine this? For about a year, he's lived with this guilt. And uh, how has he been handling it? Been good? Been a good time, David? Been a nice time in your life? You got away with it? I don't think so. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4 say this. When I, David said this. When I kept silent about my sin, and this is the sin he's talking about, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for night and day or day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. What David is saying is not only was his fellowship with God broken, but he was physically affected by this. He was miserable for this year. It physically affected him. Sin does that. If you don't confess your sin turn from it, it, it affects you physically. It drains you. The joy is gone. It's what we would call today a carnal believer or a believer who's caught in carnality, his own catching. So not only was David, uh, uh, had, had, not only had David had broken fellowship with God, but David became a miserable man, a man who had no joy. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is the singer who sang to the Lord, but for about a year, he didn't sing anything like this because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't sing songs of praise to God when you're covering up your sin. And not only that, David became a, an inhumane individual, a harsh person. Notice the end of chapter 12 of, of 2 Samuel. It says this in verse 26. Now Joab fought against Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, and captured the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. Now therefore, uh, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, lest I capture the city myself and it be named after me. Now this, by the way, chronologically fits in right after his relationship with Bathsheba. It's at the end of this chapter, but it's right after he committed the sin and after Uriah died. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah and fought against it, captured it. Then he took the crown of their king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold, and it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head, and he brought out the spoil of the city in great amounts. Verse 31, he brought out the people who were in it and set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, and iron axes, and he made them pass through the brick kiln. And then he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. You know what? I read a commentary this week that said David just put them to labor. David gave them saws. David gave them sharp instruments, and he put them to labor. Not true. That's, that's inaccurate. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but First Chronicles 20, verse 3 
gives us a parallel verse. You know what it says? David cut them. David sawed them. David uh, was cruel to them. They weren't given these instruments that were sharp. They were used upon them. David became inhumane, uncharacteristic of David, who was a merciful man. David became like a madman. David became hard and cruel and a believer out of fellowship with God, suffering under the strain of guilt and also having the heavy hand of discipline upon him. And I wonder if there are not some here like that, because that's what happens to us when we get out of fellowship with God. I wonder if some of us can relate to David's experience. You claim to know Jesus Christ, but you're holding on to sin, stubbornly refusing to repent of something. It's not only made you lose fellowship with God, no joy in your life. There may be some times of happiness because we tend to fill that when we purchase something or obtain something, but no real joy inwardly. And you've become mean. You've become cranky. Maybe you haven't taken a saw to anybody, I hope. But mean and cranky and nasty. When you meet people like that who claim to know Christ, it's because they're out of fellowship with him. Now, if that's the case, then you need to repent. And God's way, most of the time, to bring us to repentance is by sending someone to talk to us about our sin. And the person that he sends to you uh, ought to have certain qualities that make him or her, their confrontation, very effective. We will learn about those important qualities on the next Verse by Verse. It was great to have you with us today for another lesson. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.